right, well, good morning again. We're so glad you guys are here with us. And so several things as we get started uh, today. And uh, if you're new, we're so glad you guys took the time out of your day to be here with us. If you're watching online, so sometimes when I see the camera, I feel weird because I feel like it's just like right there. Um, And I don't even know if anybody's even out there, so it's just kind of a weird thing sometimes. But this week alone, I ran into three different people. I was at the concession stand last night. Um, at uh, my son's football game, which is a whole nother story. There'll be in a lot of sermons later. And so, uh, so we're there, and like all of a sudden, this woman shrieks from the back, you're Jeremy Willis. And I'm like, I am. And she's like, you're the pastor of Journey. We love it. We've been watching online for a year. And so if you're the lady that shrieked my name in front of everybody, we're so glad you're watching <laughs> as well. But it's like the third person this week. So we're like, we watch every lo- online every week. And so we're so glad you guys are watching online as well. If you're new, make sure and download the app. Get on Facebook. It's the best way to stay connected. There's a ton of stuff coming up, uh, especially with fall. we got Fall Fest coming up. There's a lot of youth activities. There's women's stuff. There's small groups. There's Forge, which is our men's ministry. we got some stuff we're planning for that as well. And so a whole lot of stuff. The app is the best way to stay connected, know everything going on and all that stuff. And so just do that and there'll be more announcements as we get things going. Now, today I do want to make a quick little statement. Uh, It's not even a statement. It's more of just a thought um, about masks. And I know that that's just a real popular topic right now. So um, I do realize that no matter what I say next, someone will be upset or disagree with. And my promise to everyone in this room is that I'm an equal opportunity offender, which means I will, before this is all said and done, probably upset everybody. And so that's just the fun part of getting to be me. Um, So as of right now, we are not mandating any mask or anything like that at at this point. Now, as before, depending on language from the the governor and also from local health officials and stuff like that, I mean, that may change. At this point, we don't see that happening. Uh, But what we also want to do is say that we take this very seriously. Um, and, and so we, we believe that this is something we have to keep kind of a pulse on. Um, and, and so at some point, our language may change a little bit. And at that point, the people that aren't upset now will be upset then and all that good stuff. So, um, but we want you to help make the best decision and wisest choice for your family. Now, here's what I also want to say, because this is the bigger issue to me um, culturally. And this is not a part of my sermon, although it could be a sermon in and of itself, is that whatever your feelings are about it, um, what we need to learn to do is respect other people's beliefs, ideas, and thoughts. And so what I want to say is we want to be very mask-friendly. In fact, we may get to the point where we encourage people to wear masks. And especially in our kids' department and with some of the volunteers back there, we may encourage that again. But here's what I want to say. Um, what we don't want is we don't want anybody feeling belittled or that they're being ridiculed for choosing to wear a mask or not wear a mask at this point. Um, there is so much chaos and disagreement and, and lack of peace out there. We don't want it in here. Um, and, and so whatever we decide, we hope that you support. And if you see someone wearing a mask, do not give them a funny look. Do not pull it off their face, as happened before. Um, that is their choice, and it might even be the smartest and wisest choice. So um, just please get along, and that'll be the last I say about masks until I have to say something else, and then everybody else can email April. All right, so... <laughs> So, uh, so with this series, uh, we are talking about joy and how we can find joy. And if you've missed everything up until this point, today may not make a whole lot of sense. So I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, not right this moment, but we're kind of landing the plane on where we've been. 
And so we started with the idea of how do we find joy facing the things that we face in life. One of the things we started off talking about is to learn to be present in life. So many of us are not present in life. So many of us are in so many different places. Uh, these do not help at all with being present in life and being uh, present in the moment. What we talked about kind of opening is that life is actually good uh, for the most part. And that if we take a moment and look at all of the good that's around us, if we embrace the moment that's right here and right now, and the breath that you just took is a gift, and the people around you are a gift, and your family is a gift, and your spouse is a gift, and all of this is a gift, and that life is actually good, and there are hard moments, but learning to be present. And then last week, we talked about the idea, that this idea that as we face today, and so again, being present, as we face today, the belief is that God will give us the grace we need for today. And we looked at this Old Testament story about the manna that was given to, to the Israelites. And, and what we also said is this, is that yesterday was yesterday. It's not today. And so everything that came with yesterday and all the problems and troubles, we're not there anymore. And the beautiful thing about grace is that it covers all of the yesterdays and all of the mistakes we've made up until this point, but now we live in today. And to learn to live in that grace, to embrace that grace and to hold on to it and know that God will give us what we need to sustain us through today. Now, we can talk about being present. We can talk about today and being in the moment. But here's what I also know. The bigger question for a lot of us is, well, what about tomorrow? Today's good, but what about tomorrow? Because tomorrow is the unknown. And as we talked about the first week, one of the things that we understand about us psychologically is this, is that when we know what's going to happen, and we talked about joy and being in the moment and being what's known in front of us, it's easy to be happy sometimes when you're facing that moment and you know you can overcome that moment. Where fear comes from and anxiety comes from is the unknown, the not knowing what's going to happen next. And that's why a lot of us fear tomorrow, because today may be good, but tomorrow's going to have its own problems. And Jesus even talks about that. And there's this great quote that I love from Tim Keller. I, I talk about it all the time. It says this. He says, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and successful with our careers, something will inevitably ruin it, right? And isn't that true, right? I mean, I mean, think about the year that we just came through. Think about all of the stuff that we've had to deal with and now in this season are having to continue to deal with. And it ruins things. It makes things hard. It makes things difficult. <laughs> Now, the other thing is this, and a little bit of audience participation in this in, here in a second, so I'm warning you because you're not going to want to do it, um, is this. Um, how many of us in this room have had seasons of life or periods of life or moments, or maybe you're going through it now, where it's not going the way that you expected? It's not going the way that you had planned. It's not going the way that you had hoped, okay? And, and so we find ourselves in seasons where it's not what we thought it was going to be. So here's the interpretation. By show of hands, how many of you in this room have ever been through a season or a moment where it wasn't what you thought it was going to be, right? Okay. So everybody look around just for a second. Everybody's got their hands up except for a couple of liars, okay? <laughs> um, now, we could end there and you would have learned something because here's what I know about all of us. When we go through hard seasons, sometimes we think we're the only one. Sometimes we think we're the only person experiencing this type of pain, this type of hurt. Sometimes we think we're the only one going through hard times, right? 
And, and so there's a couple things that happen in these seasons. It's the first thing happens is sometimes what happens is when you're going through this hard time, what people will tell you is that, well, you know what, like, especially people that wear like these things on their face like me and stand in front of people, they'll say things like, you're going through a tough time, but what you really just need is more faith because that's helpful, right? Um, or they'll say like, you need to give more or maybe you need to pray more. Or you need to get rid of sin in your life because the problem is you've got the sin in your life. And so that's why these things are happening because there's the sin pattern in your life. And what all of that communicates is it's really your fault. That the reason you're going through this tough time is it's your fault. And sometimes, let's be honest, it may be true. But there's a whole lot of other times where there's things outside of our control, outside of even the circumstances that we chose, that makes life hard. The other thing that makes this hard is that sometimes people of faith, we're not often careful with our language. And so what happens is we're going through a really hard time, and then we see some story on Facebook or TikTok or Instagram or whatever. By the way, I just got on Instagram for the first time. I didn't know I had an Instagram, but apparently if you have Facebook, you have an Instagram. So I logged into Instagram. I was instantly dumber for just logging in and seeing the things that were on it. I don't understand it or why it's a valuable part of society. But anyway, that's my own thing. You don't have to believe that, but you're wrong. And so, um, so what happens is we'll see people tell these stories. And what happens is stuff like this. You're going through a really tough time and you'll inevitably hear somebody of faith say something like, well, you know, I needed to go to the mall because I needed to get this new phone. You probably didn't need the new phone, but you went to the mall to get the new phone, but you were late for time because you had to be somewhere else. And so you're driving around looking for a parking lot and you can't find a parking spot. And so you drive around and then eventually you're praying, God, help me find this parking spot because I have to get this phone because then I have to go to this other thing that I probably don't even really need to go to. And so all of a sudden I prayed and a parking spot opened up right next to the door. God is good. And you just want to be like, you are dumb, right? That is not how this thing works, okay? Because you're going through something and you desperately want God to show up. And all of a sudden, it seems like God is more concerned about parking spots than about the hardship that you're facing and not just us, the rest of society and the world. And so it makes it really tough sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes we go into these seasons where it feels like God is maybe silent or absent. It feels like that maybe he's not paying attention or maybe this is how he feels about me. And so that's why I have to go through this situation. Now, there's some interesting stories we're going to cover today. A couple are from the Bible and a couple are personal stories that I'm going to try to get through without being a baby. And so uh, the first one comes in the Old Testament. It's a particularly fascinating story and has meant a lot to me over the years for, for many different reasons. And it takes place in the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel is a book that not a lot of us have probably read or studied. There's a lot of end-time prophecy people that use Daniel a lot, and they don't know what they're talking about. But for the most of us, uh, the famous thing that comes out of Daniel is Daniel in the lion's den. It's this famous story where Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den because he goes against the orders of King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's in the lion's den, and the lion's mouths are shut, and he survives in there. And it's this amazing story of God working through this. But there's another fascinating story that comes out of that. And it's about three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are amazing names that nobody names their kids anymore. And so, um, so these three guys, what happens is King Nebuchadnezzar, he, so, and I kind of sympathize with King Nebuchadnezzar. He gets a bad reputation. He wants to do right. The problem is he's the king over this big region and territory, and he's invited people into his life that give him bad advice. 
And part of the reason they're giving him bad advice is because they realize they have an audience with the king and they want to be powerful and remain powerful in the kingdom. And so they keep giving him all this bad advice. And so eventually it gets to this point where these guys kind of convince Nebuchadnezzar, hey, what you need to do is make sure that nobody worships any other gods except for the gods that we kind of ordain and say are okay to worship. And they even create like these big idols and all this stuff. And and so the problem is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are faithful to their faith that they have in their God, which is our God. And so this interesting kind of dialect takes place and eventually gets to the point where there's kind of some decrees put in place to where basically, listen, it's no longer a suggestion. It's now a, you need to bow down to these gods, okay, um, or else. And if anybody correlates this to a mask mandate or vaccination, you need to reread your Bible because that's not what we're talking about here, okay? This is literally, they're being told to worship other gods. And if they don't, they're going to be put to death. Completely different scenario, okay? I need to correct that because somebody said something after the service to me last service. So, um, so here's the thing. They're in this moment, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And it's, like, it's not even like a question to them. They are not going to deny their God. And so it comes this scene where Nebuchadnezzar is kind of pushed by these other outside people. And essentially, he says, okay, you're not going to do this? Fine, we're going to put you to death. And it's going to be a public execution, and we're going to put you in this furnace. And everybody's going to see you walk into the furnace. They're going to watch you burn up. And then what good is your God then? And so it's like this tough thing. It's this hard thing. This is crazy about it is they think they're doing what's right. And yet now they're still facing death. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 says this. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But here it is. But even if he doesn't, We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, here is what comes out of that story that has been so important to me over the years, and I'll tell you why here in a second. But here's the line. I've got a slide for it. We know that God is able to what? What is it that you're facing that you know that God is able to deal with? God is able to do what anyone can do. God is able to free people from lion's dens and free people from fiery furnaces and does all these other amazing things. We know that God is able to. So what is your blank? What is it that you need God to do in your life? But even if he doesn't. And that's the tension, isn't it? I know that God could do this, but even if he doesn't, here's what I'm going to do. Now, a couple stories I want to tell you, and I'll try to get through these without being emotional. I love, know you guys like it when I get emotional. I do not. So just, I've already told them once, so I think I'm good. But about 11 years ago, uh, me and my wife, we decided, so we've been married going on 15 years this year. Um, 11 years ago, we decided we wanted to start a family because that's what you do, right? You start a family. And so we decided we wanted to get pregnant to start a family is the most natural kind of thing that people do. And so we started trying. And, um, you know, when you first start trying, and I don't know if there's kids in the room, but when you first start trying, I mean, it's a lot of fun to try to get, you know, it's, it's but eventually it gets to the point where um, when it's not being successful, um, it's not fun. 
And for two and a half years, we, we tried. And, you know, it gets to this point where, you know, we're, we're paying attention to cycles and, you know, time matters and all of this stuff. And I'm not trying to be graphic. It's just our world that we lived in. Eventually, we get to the place where I get tested. You know, she's getting tested for stuff. And so we end up getting her on these different medications. And there's several of them we had to go through. And, and the problem with these medications, if you've ever been through this, um, they're really tough on her and, and her body. And, and so she was struggling through a lot of stuff. And it was painful for her at times. And it was hard on her. And to be honest with you, I mean, we, we really wanted to try to have kids. But it was just making her miserable. And it didn't seem like it was working. And so that's causing tension between us. It's causing tension in our house. We had just started the church, which is already stressful enough, and we'll talk about that here again in a second. And so for two and a half years, we just were at it, and it just was not good. And if you've ever been through that, I know some people in this room have been through that and are still going through that, or that's part of their story, um, it's really hard. And then, like, you run into people that are getting pregnant, and you want to be so happy for them, and you're, like, smiling, and then you get in the car, and they're like, those dummies, you know, like just, just, you know, you don't really think that, but it's just tough. And uh, so we eventually, through all of this process, we get to this place where we decide that we're going to, this is not part of our story. It doesn't seem like it's going to be. And there were some other things that we could try and other avenues, but we knew like adoption was something that there's a need for in the United States and even abroad. And, and so we said, well, maybe that's part of our story or, you know, fostering or whatever it is. We just kind of reached this place where we said, okay, maybe this isn't part of our story. And we often refer to it kind of as our peaceful place. And there was a, a Bible verse that was really important to us during this, and it's Colossians 3.15. I've preached about it a million times. Um, it says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. And so we just kind of decided, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to stop stressing, stop worrying. This is not good for your body. We're, we're fighting with each other over this stuff. So let's just turn it over to God and see what happens. Let the peace that comes from him rule in our hearts. And, and maybe there's a different path that we can take and adoption and all of this stuff. And so we take her off all of the medications. And the darndest thing happens. Um, she ends up getting pregnant. And it was like, we believe like this moment we made peace with it is when God kind of opened that door for that to happen. And I know that's not everybody's story, so I don't say that lightly because I know there's a lot of people that still struggle with that and have struggled with that. And so she got pregnant. And so we named our daughter Paxton. Paxton is usually a boy's name, but we get that. Please stop telling us. And uh, it's also Latin, and the word in Latin means peaceful place. And so we said when we got to a peaceful place, that's when God gave us Paxton. Now, I don't know what the Latin word for tornado is, but we probably should have named her that instead. <laughs> and the other part of the story that's just kind of fascinating, a lot of people know, is so Colossians 3.15 was really important to us, and it's been this verse. And our daughter was actually born on March 15th, which is actually 3.15. And, and so it's kind of been like this, this thing where we got to this place where we were at peace with it. And so we knew that God was able to, but we also kind of wrestled with, but even if he doesn't. The other story took place about eight years ago, and so we're two years into the church, which is really tough, by the way, starting a church, and I don't always recommend it to people, and so we're starting the church, and statistically, the first two years are your toughest. 80% of church plans don't make it past the first two years, and so it's this really hard thing. It's kind of a make it or break it season. At this point now, we have a one-year-old named Paxton. And it's stressful and hard. My wife is working. I'm working. It's just, you know, everybody's got little kids, especially your first one. I mean, it's just tough. And so in the middle of all of that, um, my dad ends up having a heart attack. And it was like 
out of the blue. Like we weren't expecting it at all. In fact, we were actually did a cookout for church the day before, and so dad has a heart attack. And so we're kind of in this season where they take him to the hospital, and at first, I mean, it looks really bad, and so they're trying to explain things to us, and obviously we're very emotional and having a hard time processing everything. And so they end up putting him in a place where for about four days, he's in the hospital. And, you know, we keep having moments of hope. He eventually comes to, and we get to spend some moments with him, and then he kind of gets put back in this coma for his body and stuff like this. And so for like four days, we're kind of in like this wrestling match of like, is he going to make it? Is he not going to make it? What's going to happen? And so eventually Thursday rolls around and we get to this place where uh, the doctor's are like, hey, we think he's in a place that we can try to perform the surgery. Uh, and so this could potentially save his life. And so we leave the hospital. We've been kind of living at the hospital for that point for four days. And we leave and we're going home and we're taking showers because we think we're in for another long haul. We're going to have to go through this surgery. And while I'm in the shower, literally my mom calls and says, hey, the doctor just came in and he's actually taking a turn for the worst. And so we have to get our clothes on and leave, and we end up having to go to the hospital, and he didn't make it. And it was like this moment of this real crunch of that question, if we can put that slide back on. We know that God is able to, but what do we do when he doesn't? There's a story that comes out of the Bible by the guy named John the Baptist, and, and maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't, but he's kind of this forebearer for Jesus coming, and he kind of paves the way for Jesus to make an impact on this community and in this culture that he finds himself in, and he kind of leads the way, and he's this guy that goes out, and he kind of gets disciples and followers himself, and then when Jesus comes around, he ends up saying, hey, this is the guy you really need to follow. The other interesting detail is that Jesus and John are cousins. Right? So they're, they're not just close because of the mission of what Jesus is doing, but they're actually close because they're family. John the Baptist is actually the one that baptizes Jesus, and, and, and it's just kind of this amazing story. The problem is John the Baptist, similar to Nebuchadnezzar's or Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, um, he lives in a town that's under the rule of these wicked people. Now, there's a guy named Herod the Great who is the, the kind of the overseer of that region at the time. Rome rules the world, but they allow these kind of like kings to rule over these areas. And it's Herod the Great, as we know, he's not a good guy because he put like all these two-year-olds to death because he was trying to save his own kingdom. And that makes you not a good person, by the way. And, and then you got Herod, and then he has a son named Herod Antipas. Now, Herod, Herod Antipas, there's this whole weird story about, you just got to read your Bibles. I'm telling you, it's more fascinating than you realize. And so there's this whole weird thing that happens, but he's married to a lady named Herodias, which is a terrible name for a woman, and I bet she was ugly. And so, uh, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, but it just sounded right. So... They are in this weird, like, just weird thing. You're like, you got to read your Bibles, this weird thing. So John the Baptist sees this going on. These are the placeholder kings for the Jewish people, and they're not living up to the standard that God has for leaders in the community. And so he starts preaching against these people because they're doing really weird stuff. And he's preaching specifically against the sin of Herodias. Well, Herodias hates John because he's publicly going around and saying all these things. And so she eventually convinces her husband that she needs to arrest John to get him to shut up. And so the story goes where basically eventually she talks to her husband, who actually likes John because she's intrigued by the things that he says, and arrests him. I mean, she really is kind of a wicked woman in in this biblical story. And so eventually this woman gets John arrested unjustly. And so John is in prison for doing the right thing. Okay, doing the good thing. So it's a bit of a confusing situation. Remember, he was kind of like the right-hand man of Jesus, kind of getting this thing going. He's Jesus' cousin. He's seen Jesus perform miracles. He's been a part of a lot of these stories that have happened. And here is John stuck in prison, a place that nobody wants to be. 
And there's this faith, right, that he knows what Jesus can do and is able to do, but will he? And so in Matthew chapter 11, it says this. When Jesus finished giving these instructions, which is the, if you read the chapter before, he's sending out the disciples to go and to minister to people. So when he finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, remember that part, heard about all of the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, this story is so deep on so many levels. John knows everything that Jesus is capable of doing. He's experienced some of it. And all of a sudden now, he's in prison. Life is rough for him. And he's hearing all of these amazing things that Jesus is doing for other people, but not him. And so he asked one of the most honest questions that anyone could ask. Jesus, are you the one... Or should we expect somebody else? You ever want to ask him that when you're going through tough things? Like, I know like there's church and I know there's Bible and there's preachers, but Jesus, are you really what you say you are? Or should I be looking for something else? And what's interesting about this story is, is John, who preached the goodness of Jesus and even has this great line where he says that Jesus who's coming, he's not even fit to tie his sandal. All of a sudden now, he's in this situation where it doesn't look good. And all of a sudden, his situation has been impacted, and all of his faith is starting to come into question. And what's crazy about this is none of us are immune from what just happened to John the Baptist. There's not a person in this room that couldn't get a phone call right now that it would completely change your world. Or for some of you, it's not even a phone call. You're living it. Your marriage is barely hanging on. Right? You act like everything's good, but we all know, right? Or it's been a long time since you've been employed, or your job's not going well, it's not good for you, it's not good for your family, or you're being asked to do things at work that are compromising, and so you're in this tough position. Or for some of you, it's you've got a son or a daughter or a family member, and it looks like God isn't answering prayers for, for whatever you're praying for. There's sickness, there's cancer. I mean, there's all of these things that happen in our life, and all of a sudden now our circumstances are what nobody would sign up for. And just like John, just like Shadrach and Shabinigo, we know that God is able to deal with these things. Now, I want to dig a little bit deeper with this idea because I, I think this is something that we have to address within ourselves. I know I have to. There's something a little bit self-centered and maybe even selfish, and I know those are not words we like, when we choose to lose faith or question our faith when bad things happen. And here's what I mean by that, okay? Isn't it interesting that when we see bad things happen to other people, our response is, well, you just need to pray more. You need to study your Bible more. You need to read a devotional. You need to go to church. You need to do this, this, and this. So what we're telling them is bad things happen to you, so what you need is more faith. You need more God. You need more Jesus. But then bad things happen to us, and all of a sudden, we start to question whether those things even work. We start to doubt, right? I mean, think about it. We see tsunamis, hurricanes, wars, and other places wrecking the lives of other people, and we say those people need God in their life. They need God in their country. But then something happens to us, and it's all of a sudden, we, we, I, don't, I don't think this is working, 
What's crazy is, see, we are, our faith is never shattered by something that happens to someone else. It's when it happens to us and our family and our kids and our situation. Why is that? Why is it that when you go through a difficult time, I don't lose my faith, but when I go through a difficult time, all of a sudden I question everything? And I'm not saying that's bad. We all do it. I think the reason is this. I think this is what John's going through that he sets in this prison cell. When we go through hard times, our world shrinks down to the size of the thing in front of us. When we couldn't get pregnant, that's the only thing we thought about. When my dad was in those hospital for four, those four days, I didn't care about anything else. My world shrunk down to that waiting room and those appointments with those doctors and those moments and the thing I'm facing right now, and my entire world shrinks down to that problem. The blinders go on, and we can't see anything else. And so John the Baptist is sitting in a prison cell, and his world has shrunk down to the size of that cell. So the question is, Jesus, are you the one we should expect or should we be waiting for somebody else? And what Jesus replies is brilliant and hard to hear at the exact same time. Here's what he says. Go back to tell John what you have heard and you've seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. What you don't realize, probably, is what Jesus just quoted back to him is not original to Jesus. He's actually quoting from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Now, Isaiah uses this language all throughout the book about prophesying about this Messiah that's going to come and what he's going to do. And there's one more prophecy that ties to these prophecies that Isaiah gives that Jesus doesn't mention. And that prophecy is, and he will set the prisoners free. And Jesus omits that. I don't know why we face the things that we face. I don't know why we have to go through certain seasons of life. I don't know why sometimes if God is able, why he doesn't. And what Jesus reminds John of that I think is important for all of us is that even when we're going through hard things, it doesn't mean that God's not good. It doesn't mean that God is not active. It does not mean that God is not doing things in this world. It's just in that moment, we don't see it because we can't. And the other thing is this, and this is really important. I've learned about myself, and it's going to be hard for a lot of people to hear. See, Jesus reminds John that God is doing things outside of him that maybe he needs to pay attention to. But here's the other thing. Sometimes when we go through hard things, God is doing things inside of us that we can't see. And so go and report to him all that's going on. And then there's this interesting moment where, where Jesus, the disciples of John, are walking away. And Jesus says this line. It's not going to come up. But he says, and tell John, God blesses those who do not turn away from me because of me. Which when you first read that, your first thought has to be how insensitive of Jesus 
to say that to his cousin, whom he loves, who is in prison struggling. And so the first response when we see that, I don't think it's such a brilliant line, is so maybe the idea is the reason that John's struggling is because Jesus doesn't care. Maybe the reason he's in the prison cell is Jesus doesn't care about John. Maybe something happened and there's bad blood between them or they're cousins after all. So maybe there's all this drama that we don't know about. And so maybe that's why he's in there. And so he's telling him, don't, don't let your face suffer because of what you're going through and because of me. And so maybe the reason that he's going through this is because Jesus doesn't really actually care about him or love him or something. Until you see this line. Truly I tell among you, among those born of women, which is everybody, in case you didn't know, um, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So he's the greatest guy to ever live. Yep. And you're going to leave him in prison. Yep. And Jesus, you know he's probably going to die there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's tough, isn't it? I don't know why he had to go through that. But I do know this. It wasn't because of the way Jesus felt about him. Jesus loved him. And I think sometimes... Why this is actually good news for some of us is because if John the Baptist, who Jesus loved as much as anybody, has to go through what he goes through, maybe there's a reason you're going through what you're going through, but you know what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean he doesn't love you, and it doesn't mean he doesn't care. John is arguably the greatest to ever live, and he goes through an incredibly tough season. We often think our circumstances dictate what God thinks about us, and it's just not true. What's fascinating is this doesn't end well for John. Shortly after this, at a drunken party, he he will be executed. But what's also interesting is that almost right after kind of this story takes place, some things kind of start to unfold. And in a short period of time after this, Jesus himself will be arrested falsely, accused falsely, given a criminal's death and executed in the worst horrific way possible. Jesus will not have you walk through anything he wasn't willing to walk through himself. And it's hard when you go through the wilderness and life doesn't make sense. But knowing that Jesus went through it, for me, helps. And to know that the season we're going through does not determine what God thinks about you or how much he cares. See, the execution of Jesus is this thing, and we often miss this, even though we shouldn't. Um, It's the exclamation point behind the idea of how much God actually loves you. The cross of Jesus determines how God feels about us once and for all. That because of what he did on that cross, there needs to be no doubt in your mind how much he actually loves you and the lengths that he's willing to go to give you what you need. Which, by the way, would also make him good. Now, this is where it gets tough. Because, see, when we go through these seasons, you may believe everything I just said. But when you go through that season, you can't see it because the blinders are on. And you allow and I allow our circumstances to shrink our faith down to the size of what we're going through. Which is why maybe why Jesus said to John is the best advice he can give that when you're going through hard times, what we have to learn to do is look outside of ourselves and to see what God is doing in the life of other people. 
to see how he's still moving in the world, to see how he's still changing people. And maybe what we learn when we do that is, yes, God is still moving outside of us, but maybe, like we said earlier, that God is also moving inside of us. That God is good even in the midst that we, the trials we face, and that we are loved. And God has proven us how much he loves us. There's this great line that, that, that if you get on my phone, which you won't ever know the password, but I have this all over the place. And it says this. It says, faith, I've concluded, means believing in advance will only make sense in reverse. When we go through hard things in life, God provides support and solidarity, and he provides the grace and mercy we need to make it through each and every day. There's this great line from Philip Yancey in his book, Where's God When It Hurts? And he says this, we know one answer because God came to earth to show us. You need only follow Jesus around and note how he responded to the tragedies of his day. Large scale tragedies such as an act of government terrorism in the temple, which did happen, or a tower collapse on 18 innocent bystanders, as well as small tragedies such as a widow who has lost her only son or even a Roman soldier whose servant has fallen ill. At moments like these, Jesus never delivered sermons about judgment or the need to accept God's mysterious providence. Instead, he responded with compassion, a word from Latin which simply means to suffer with and comfort and healing. God stands on the side of those who suffer. And then our ultimate hope comes again from Philip Yancey in one of his books. He says this, For us who are Christians, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof positive that love is stronger than hate, and it is and still is, that life is stronger than death, that light is stronger than the darkness, that laughter and joy and compassion are gentleness and truth. All of these are so much stronger than their ghastly counterparts. I don't know why we go through some of the things we do, and I wish I did. But I do know that God will give us the grace we need for all the yesterdays we faced and the grace we need to get through today. And because of that, because I know that all the yesterdays I faced before today and the day I faced today, that he will give me what I need to get through today, I have hope for the tomorrow I haven't faced. Life is hard. People will let you down. Situations will arrive that are difficult to process, but the promise is you won't go through it alone. Back to our story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's this interesting detail that the writer gives us that after they're thrown into the fiery furnace, they, they don't burn up. I don't know how that didn't happen. I wasn't there, and I'm not God, but they don't burn up. And there's this moment where the guard looks into the furnace, and he says to King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, didn't we put three guys in there? And the king's like, yeah, we put three in there. And the guy says, well, there's, there's actually four. There was another in the fire that day with them. See, what makes the difference sometimes is knowing we're not alone. That he is with us. He sees us in our hurting. He loves us in our hurting. And he never leaves us in our hurting. That he will be in the fire with us. So how do we obtain this? How do we hold on to this when it seems like all of the ground beneath our feet is shaking? Well, the good news is he's God and we're not, and that's what he does. 
There's this great quote that I love, though. It came across my radar, and I'm obsessed with it. It says, grace isn't opposed to effort, but is opposed to earning. We don't earn grace, but we can sure help it along sometimes. And how do we help to live in the moment of the grace that we receive every day? Well, some of the things that we can do is learn to take the blinders off by seeing what God is doing all around us. But as we started this series, by embracing the beauty and the wonder of life, by being present in the moment, by realizing it's today and it's not yesterday and it's not the trouble of tomorrow, it's today, which means he's going to give us the manna that we need for today, the grace we need to get through it. And maybe if we can learn to see the picture a little bit bigger besides the circumstances we face in the moment, and if we learn to shift our gaze, what we might just see is there's another figure in the fire with us. And we might learn to trust that God will rescue us from our deepest valleys and our hurts, that he is still good and we are never alone. People will let you down, but he has never let me down and his promise is he will never forsake or abandon us. Here's what I know. Sometimes life doesn't make sense, but I do believe he will give me the grace to face the tomorrow that I face. And because of that, I believe that God is good and we are loved. Let's pray.